0: End of the last book in Scripture, which is talking about the end of all things as we we know them. Uh, and so, uh, next week we'll launch into uh, into a time of Advent, uh, and then in the new year we'll we'll have a new a new series. Uh, hopefully, Revelation has been uh, useful to you, practical to you, enjoyable to you. My my 16-year-old uh, sometimes uh, has asked me, "Is it almost over yet?" Uh, one time, she said, "I'm sure that if you're a theology nerd, this has been uh, this has been bananas." I can't remember what she actually said. Uh, this has been great, but when are we going to do something new? So I hope that isn't all of the feelings. I hope ultimately that we've made much of of Jesus. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 22 uh, this morning, and I'm going to read to you from Revelation chapter 22, uh, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Uh, Revelation 22 says this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, throw, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river the tree of life, which is with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. and the Lord, the God of spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Uh, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And, I heard and, saw them as I heard, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you. And your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning. In the end, blessed are those who wash the robes so they might have the right to the tree of life and that they might enter into the city gates outside of the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let anyone who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them. God will add them to the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away from his share in the tree and life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Remember John, um, John's got a, Got a vision. We don't know how long this vision took him in 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 real time, but he's on the island of Patmos, where he's where he's been exiled for preaching and talking about Jesus, for loving Jesus. He's been boiled in a in a vat of oil. He's been he's been punished, and he's by himself, and he's worshiping by himself. Uh, and God comes to him and gives him this vision. And the vision he gives them with we've said is a vision specifically for the church. For the church, uh, for the church in, in, in the time in which John wrote and the church in all of history. And the book of Revelation tells this story uh, of all of the time between Jesus first coming at the and, and the cross and Jesus next coming at his coronation as, as king. And it tells all of that story and, and it works through all of history. And then we get to chapters uh, 21 and 22 and some uh, 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 20 and it's telling the story of the actual end of, of, a, of a future uh, and it, it's telling of a future that we that we we long for whether we know it or not it's a future that we all long for but the roots of revelation as we have said before the root of this book is in the old testament and it's at the beginning of history so while this this book deals with the end of all Things. The beginning of this is, is at the beginning of all things as we know them, as we know them humanly. We've said before, Revelation quotes from the Old Testament by illusion more than any other book in all the scripture. In fact, more than the other New Testament books put together. Revelation makes allusion to what happens in the Old Testament, to the fulfillment of, of this story, of what God is trying to accomplish in history. What is it that, he, that he's trying to do? And so the story we have before us today or what he's talking about today does not begin uh, uh, in, in John's time. And it doesn't really begin in the future. But the, the roots of what he's talking about begin at the beginning. So you know this story, you've heard the story of Adam and Eve. The first man created by God and created for God and placed into a garden. He's placed into the garden and things in the garden are are perfect because they're without any sort of brokenness, they're without any sort of uh, of warp, they're without any sort of sickness, they're without any sort of pain. Everything is exactly as it should be because the man and the woman are in a perfect relationship with the God who made them and they're fulfilling exactly the purpose that God made them for and so God puts the man and the woman into the garden and the garden prefigures the, this this story that's told throughout the Old Testament of a temple but essentially the Garden of Eden f- functions as the, as the first temple of the living God. And what's a, what's a temple? Or uh, Essentially, it, it's the place where God's presence dwells. It's where God tabernacles. And so the Garden of Eden prefigures even, even the, the coming of a, of a temple that would happen later on in, in the Old Testament. And it tells the story of, of Adam and Eve without sin, and walking in the cool of day, and God coming and walking with them in the cool of day. There, God's presence dwelt with them there in, in the garden. They got to have, have a direct connection to God. And God said to, to the man, he told him to be fruitful and multiply. But he also told, them, told him that his job was to take care of and care for the garden. He was to, to care for that place where God's presence dwelt with him. We don't know, but one could could assume, or one could um, conjecture that if that if Adam had had continued in not sinned, that he would have tended to all of the, the the garden around him, and he would have would have would have kept the ground. He would have taken care of it. He would have planted more and more fields as he was fruitful and multiply. There would have been an expansion of the garden further and further. The lines or the or 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 the um the boundaries of the garden would have grown. In other words, the the rule, the reign, and the presence of God would have expanded uh, uh, upon in, in that earthly place, his dwelling in the garden. But we know that what begins there in the garden, that which is beautiful in, in, in the garden is broken because the man and the woman God tells them you are to take care of this you are to love this and I'm going to have my presence with you anytime you choose I will be with you but you may eat anything of the garden but of this tree do not eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but the man the woman uh, the woman is deceived by a serpent, the man chooses to sin, they both partake uh, uh, of the fruit of the tree, and their eyes are opened and in a sense they do become like God, they become aware that there is both that which is right and that which is wrong in the in the world and because They become aware of this and because they have rebelled against God. In fact, because they have tried to usurp the very God of the universe, Adam and Eve are booted out of of the garden. Now, what they have been told to do, to be fruitful and and, and to guard the garden, those are are very similar to terms that will be given later on to to priests, in Scripture, But when God kicks them out, he replaces them as taking care of the garden. He replaces them with angels to guard the entrance into, into that garden. That's the beginning of the human story as, as we have it in scripture. Man in perfect relationship with his maker. Man taking care of the garden. The garden functions as a temple or, a, or the dwelling place, the, the center place of the relationship between man and God. God is regularly in the garden. He walks with the man and the woman. They have full joy they they have they have full peace they are doing exactly what they were created for and when they sin they are kicked out of the garden and thus that garden is 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 left behind and humanity is swept into a into a brand new world. And this world is not a place where the dwelling of God is idyllic, where the dwelling of God is garden-like, where the dwelling of God comes and walks with the man and the woman in the in the cool of the day. But rather, this outside the garden is the place where good and evil do exist. And in fact... Evil comes to bear, and evil, uh, evil begins to weigh upon all of humanity, and death is introduced in, into humanity, and evil begins to to spread. So then we know from the from the Old Testament, and we know from moving into the New Testament, we know that God Himself was not content to simply allow the man, the woman, and all of mankind to continue apart from him. He was not content to allow the evil to win. He wasn't content, though evil did spread, he was not content to allow the evil to spread unchecked. But God begins to, or continues to involve himself in human history. So even though they must leave the garden, and and though the dwelling place of God where he walked in the cool of day is not the same God still gives his presence to mankind and begins to work a plan. God looks at all of the, the evil and he decides that the evil is not going to win. And so we know from the Old Testament that he introduces things like, um, like the law to protect humankind from the worst elements of what we are. When, when evil takes over, we need rules to help us understand and rules to protect us from ourselves. We need, it'll say later on, we needed these rules to understand even that we did do wrong. We needed to be able to name and see the wrong that we did. But in the Old Testament thing, God, God reintroduces himself into human history. He introduces himself at... at um, Uh, uh, to Abraham. He introduces himself uh, to the Hebrew people. He introduces himself continually and in introducing himself as we go through the Old Testament we discover in places like Ezekiel and elsewhere a description of the temple of the living God and the temple is where God's presence tabernacled and the word tabernacle they would call the temple the tabernacle. They use those. Uh, the to tabernacle" means to dwell. Where did God dwell? Well, God was not content that the, that that humankind that, that they would that they would simply be given over to their sinfulness, given over to their brokenness, given over to all that that, that they do. God was not content, so He made a way for them. In that way involved in the in system of the law and involved the, the temple and inside the temple was a holy of holies and inside the holy of holies there was an ark of, of the covenant and, and, and there was a high priest and he was the only one who was allowed to go all the way in to the holy of holies. He was the only one who was allowed, allowed to go in to where the, where into, the, into the full presence of, of God in that sense and he would go in uh, to make a sacrifice for all of the people and he would bring the sacrifice sin and he would present the sacrifice before the presence of the living God so that God would not just pour out his wrath or his judgment upon, upon mankind, that God would just not meet out what mankind honestly deserved when it decided to rebel against God. But God was not, God was not content to allow man to be given over simply to punishment and to wrath, so he established a temple, and in the temple he established a holy of holies, and in the holy of holies there's an ark of the covenant, and in there the the the, the priest would go in, and they would make their their sacrifice, and they make what was called atonement. They'd go in to make atonement for the sins of the of the people. But God was not content. That it would go on like this forever. That that story is telling a story, right? So all of history is progressing from someplace, and it's telling us something. That was not the 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 point of the whole thing. Was not that the sacrifice of a goat or a ram or a lamb could actually forgive sin? That could that it could actually cause cause forgiveness, but rather it was a sign or a symbol or a shadow uh, of this idea that God was putting into place even then a, a plan to, to cleanse the men and women of history from their sin, to cleanse even the planet from its brokenness. Uh, we read in, in Romans it says, even the earth is crying out, groaning. It's groaning, but God was putting into place a plan to, to rescue all of that. And so it, it, it starts in the garden and then, and then yes they're kicked out, but God reintroduces himself uh, adam and says i'm yahweh and he declares himself to be the god of, of the hebrew people I, I, as we go on through through all of those things he gives to them them a temple and in the temple he gives to to them a holy of holies and the holy of holies he gives to them a place to go and make atonement but the point of that story was, was to prepare them from the point for the point of a bigger story because in 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 that system you had to go in regularly to make to make atonement uh, The highest atonement is made once a a year. But you had to go in year after year after year after year. And you had to make the right sacrifice. And you had to do all of these things. But that story exists to tell another story. That that story is a shadow. It it is what we call a a picture. It it, it is foreshadowing, if you know that term. If you have read... Perhaps the, the Chronicles of, of Narnia, if you haven't, I recommend them even if you're still an adult. The Chronicles of Narnia are, are some of my favorite books. And the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, a brilliant author, is essentially retelling the Christian story through the perspective of talking animals and ultimately through the perspective of a talking lion. That lion, his name is Aslan, is a figure or, or, or a picture of, of Jesus. They asked him, why did you write that? And he said, I didn't write that so that 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 people would read that necessarily and understand even as children all of the things of the Christian faith. He said, I wrote that so that when children, having once met Aslan in Narnia as, as children, when they grew into adults, when they met Jesus in their own world, they would recognize him. There is a sense in which what happens in the Old Testament functions like that. God deemed or designed that it would would happen. Sin comes into the world. We know that all kinds of things happen in the Old Testament. And people will say, what about this? What about this? What about this? The awful things you read about in the Old Testament come about not as the result of a holy God who is angry with people and out to get people, but rather because of the sinful actions of man. And it is a wrongful reading of that story to miss that God throughout all of the Old Testament is continually at cost to himself coming in and trying to keep people from doing horrible, awful, sinful things. And he is regularly forgiving people to keep them Uh, at at, at cost but the, the story of the Old Testament is they're kicked out of the garden they're given the dwelling place of God in the temple they're given a holy of holies they're given a way to make atonement but they still have to go in once a year but all of that Is to tell a story because even that was not enough. God was not content that it would stay that way. That there would have to be a continual yearly sacrifice. And that the presence of sin and the presence of brokenness would still reign all around them right? Read the Old Testament. Read the story of the Hebrew children. Read the story of God's children in the Old Testament. What you realize is that sin still existed all around them and it was awful because they continued to sin and they continued to do awful things. Let's not forget that these are the followers of God that in the moment when their leader... Moses goes up the mountain to see God face to face to get direct revelation from God. Decide to make a, an idol out of gold so they can worship a golden calf. So that they can worship a cow. While their leader is in the very present, he's up the mountain talking to God, getting direct revelation for him. These people are continually and constantly seeking out other gods. And if you read into their actions and you look at what they, what they do, is the story of the Old Testament, the story of scripture, is the story of humans who continually and regularly do wrong and sinful Things And it's the story of a God who continually and regularly inserts himself into human history to rescue the people for their foolish sins against him. For their foolish violence against him. For their foolish hatred against him. And this God is continually carrying out a plan to rescue humans from themselves and from him because of what they do against him. But I I say this to say that the the story of the Old Testament is progressing towards a place. God was not content that we would go in once yearly, make atonement for the sin, but, uh, but the sin would continue to reign. That we would continue to be surrounded by the sin. That we would continue to fall back into the sin. That we would continue to be hurt by the sin. And so God continued the plan, and the plan, it told a story. We understand, most of us, I think, we understand most of us, that this story is telling a deeper story and and we all recognize that the story of, of the lamb being sacrificed is a prediction of a man who would come after the old testament is finished right when the old testament is finished for 400 years god doesn't speak in the written word to, to the people. It's called the intertestamental period. And I don't know if, if they, as a people of the book, and they, as a people of writings, if they understood it, but we can look back in history and realize between the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament, God doesn't speak through sacred texts. But 400 years later, God speaks again. And when God decides to speak again, the first thing he's going to say is that he's not satisfied with a system where you go in once a year, make atonement, but sin's still allowed to reign. Because when God speaks again, it happens in Matthew, it starts with a genealogy. And nobody ever understands why. They're like, we're always like, why is this genealogy here? Why do I have to read this? And it starts with the genealogy, but the genealogy starts in the Old Testament and it ends in Jesus, who we might call the final testament. When God speaks again, he sends Jesus into this world. And when he sends Jesus, Jesus is the sign that he was not satisfied to allow sin to reign forever. He was not satisfied with a system where you went into one room and his presence dwelt in one place and only one person got to go in and be that near to God. And even then, it was a fearsome situation where if they went in with the wrong way or the wrong approach, that the priest himself could die for coming into the presence of God like that. And God was not satisfied with that so he sent Jesus. When Jesus shows up, the stories of the Old Testament only start to makes sense when we read Jesus back into them, right? He is the, he's what we call, theology nerd talk, be prepared. He's what we call the hermeneutical key. To scripture hermeneutics means how do we understand the bible the key means the key so he's the hermeneutical key you want to understand scripture you have to understand jesus this is a story that is being told progressively it's that moment when you've been reading the mystery book and you're like there's this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing and i don't understand it but then the good author introduces something and you're like that's it now it all makes sense Jesus is the thing that makes it all make sense. And so Jesus enters the world, and when he does, we know what he does. He comes into into the world. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that anyone who believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. In Romans, or uh, in Corinthians, it says... that Jesus came and became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of, uh, uh, of God. Elsewhere throughout scripture, it says anyone who calls upon his name will be saved. But Jesus comes. What does Jesus do? Jesus dies. What does his dying do? He becomes the final lamb of atonement. You might notice that we do not have a back room that we send a high priest into this morning and sheep and a pen to make atonement for your sin. Why? Because the lamb, we're telling the story of the lamb. And the lamb, his name is Jesus, came and when Jesus came, he went to the cross. And when he went to the cross, he was both the lamb sacrificed and the high priest who brought the lamb to be sacrificed. He, our great high priest, became the lamb who was sacrificed. He was put to death on the cross. his blood was sprinkled, uh, was, was sprinkled in the holy of holies. In other words, the presence of God. It made atonement for our sin. Once a year atonement. Twice a year atonement. Every couple of years atonement. Every now, no. Forever atonement. The final atonement. There's a reason when Jesus on the cross says, It is finished. He doesn't mean it's mostly done. He doesn't mean it's pretty much done. He doesn't mean, like sometimes we say, It's pretty much done. Yeah, it's done, and we know that we got a lot of stuff. to. He means it's finished. And when Jesus says it is finished, atonement has been made, right? And when that atonement has been made, there's no longer a system in place where only one person is allowed to go in to the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God. Only one person gets to do it, and it's once a year, and he even then goes fearsomely, but rather, when Jesus comes and makes atonement, he makes atonement so that all of us are allowed now, spiritually, into the Holy of Holies. In other words, we can approach God directly. That's why it says in Hebrews, therefore let us boldly approach the throne of grace. We get to boldly go to God. Why? Because Jesus, the final high priest, uh, uh, the, 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 the true high priest, and the final lamb, ha- has made sacrifice so that God who is not content to allow us to stay in our sin has made a forever atonement in the person of Jesus so that we could be free from our sins. But I will tell you this. Even then, even then, the life that you are living now, God was not satisfied to leave you in this life either. The sacrifice is finished. The holy of holies has been established spiritually. But the point of scripture is this, that that which begins in the garden, where he's told to be fruitful and multiply and to expand the boundaries of God's rule, he put angels over it to guard it so that, that it would be protected from the encroachment of the evil. But God was not satisfied with a limitation On his presence, on his reign, upon his rule, upon his holy of holies, he was not satisfied with a place where sin could encroach. He was not satisfied with a place where sin could creep in. He was not satisfied with a place where brokenness could happen. He was not satisfied with a place where sickness could exist even though we live in the spiritual reality of the holy of, whole, uh, uh, of the final atonement being made, there is coming a time where what God attempted in the garden, which was the ever expansion of his total rule, had, though the first Adam of Adam and Eve did not accomplish it, the second Adam, the, ad, the Adam who died upon the cross, the, the, the firstborn from amongst the grave, the man Jesus Christ has accomplished it, so that the expansion of his rule now comes and reigns amongst us and will one day reign amongst us totally. So, that is a long introduction so that I can say this. There is coming a day then, then what, when what the first Adam did not accomplish and could not accomplish we will see the fullness of the reality that the second Adam, Jesus, has accomplished it. And it is finished, and it is complete. So, what is, what is Revelation 22 talking about? This is good news, guys. For everyone who's ever had a bad week, for everyone who's having a bad week now, everyone who had a bad week, everyone who struggled with any sort of pain, everyone who struggled with any sort of brokenness, everyone, anyone who's ever looked at a loved one slip from, from their grasp, uh, looked at a young one, uh, a loved one slipped into sickness. Anyone disturbed by what goes on uh, in, in our country, whether politically, anyone disturbed by what goes on in our country uh, racially, anyone who disturbed by all of the realities of the brokenness of this place and this Life. I need you to know that God is disturbed and sickened by the same things that you are and he sent the second Adam to fix it. He is not satisfied that that should be the forever reign. There is coming a time when the establishment of God's kingdom, which we know now in, 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 in our spiritual reality, will become our full reality. And those things will be no more. So, Verse 1 says this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. This is what happens. So John gets a a vision. The vision is given to him by the angel to show him what will be when Jesus finally returns and wipes out all of the brokenness. This um, This is about what the new heaven and the new earth will look like. When all the old has passed away, all of that is gone, what will it look like? It will look like a river of, uh, of the water of life. Bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. Salvation is in this place. And the salvation is total. And the salvation is complete. No one can take the salvation from them. Why? It flows from the throne of the Lamb. This place is about salvation. Why is it bright as crystal? Because it is pure. Throw, flowing from the throne of the, uh, of the Lamb. Of the throne of God and of the Lamb, all of human history. But this is the consummation of human history. And the consummation is a place where all the brokenness, sin, death, and all that other junk cannot be. It, does not, it is not allowed to be. It is, not, it, it, it is not able to be in the presence. This is where salvation comes from. This is where purity comes from. This is where brokenness ends. It can't Get in. This is where, 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 where depravity ends. This is, this is where, where all of those things that war against us in our day-to-day life that are as a result of the reality of a broken world and broken humanity and all the messed up stuff you see on the news, it can't come in. Why? Flowing from the throne is the very salvation of God. Bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And through the middle of the street... Of the city, also on either side, and through the middle of the street on the, on the city, it says in, in, um, in, in, in Isaiah, in one of the passages in, in Isaiah, it says that the nations will one day flow into Zion like a river flowing up hills. There, there's, there's a road through the middle of the city and, and we're walking into the city and flowing down the, the middle of the city is this, 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 this life, this purity, this goodness and it's, it's like we're walking in the city but we're walking, we're waiting in, 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 a, in a road that has been flooded but the flood's not bad, it's flooded with the, the salvation the purity, the goodness of God the road is overwhelmed by the river flowing down it and on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. This goes back to remember in the garden when he started the original, the, the, when he started with Adam and Eve, there was the tree of life there, and there was just one tree of life. But what you will notice, and what we notice all throughout Revelation, and we notice throughout Scripture, is that what begins in. in, in, in um, in a small way, in, 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 in the garden, gets expanded in a huge way in the new creation. There, there is an ever-expanding greatness to God's goodness. And so in the garden, there was one tree of life. Here, there's a tree of life, and the tree of life is on both sides of, of the road. And so you go, well, how is that? Is it like one of those sequoias? No, when, when he says tree of life, he, he, he's saying this, that, that what started with one tree of life has become a forest In the forest is called the tree of life. There's the tree of life on on all sides. Where where there was one tree bringing life in the garden, now in the presence of the living God in the new heaven, in the new earth, the tree of life lines the road. It's a forest. There is this ever expansion, the promises of God that he's been building on, the, the, the plans of God that he's been bringing, they start in Genesis, but in their fulfillment in Revelation, they're even bigger than could have been imagined. It's true. The garden... What began in a garden is going to end here in in, in, in the city. But the garden had had limited uh, geography and it had determined boundaries. What we're going to discover here in Revelation is that there is no end to the boundaries of the rule and the reign of God in this place. It is all-encompassing. All of the new creation is the dwelling place of God here. And so there's this expansion. So on either side of the river, the tree of life, salvation is the name of the game here. It overwhelms the existence. There is no chance anymore that that you could be separated from God. There's nothing that could overcome it. They've been told, remember, Revelation written to persecuted people, right? The churches in Turkey, under oppression by evil rulers, many of them dying for their faith, many of them persecuted for their faith, not allowed to, he's writing to them and he wants them to know that there's a day coming when the tree of life is going to line the roads. And when it does, nothing, nothing will overcome the salvation that your God brings you with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. So, remember we've talked about numbers. You they might have a tendency and sometimes you read this, go, what 12 fruit are they? What do they represent? Even when I saw, them like 12 fruits, uh, how, many, how, many, uh, how many things are in the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, nope, not enough. You know, there's a natural to it, but that we need to remember. When we see the number 12 in Revelation, what is the concept? The concept's completeness. And so he's saying the fruit is complete. The fruit of the tree bears exactly what it's supposed to. Nothing can stand against it. Nothing can overcome it. It yields its fruit each month. We know that this is a figurative, figurative thing for a couple of reasons. One is that when he says each month, you need to remember that he also said that in, the, in this city, in this place, there's no sun and there's no moon. If you take away the sun and the moon, you can't have months, months are, are determined by a lunar calendar right in in, in the, the 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 you can't have days those are determined by the sun rising so what's the idea here the idea is this is the tree of life with the 12 kinds of, it's the complete fruit everything you need for your joy everything you need for your peace everything you need for your happiness everything you need everything is being given here, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. That's the good news, right? We live in a time, unfortunately, in America of what I would call racial upset, right? There's, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of awful things being said, a lot of awful things being put, put out there. We also live, unfortunately, in the American evangelical church with the confused notion that the majority of followers of Jesus were white, American, and middle class. Also not true, right? And so when you hear the healing of the nations, it's good to remember that God is the God of nations. What this We see this also as an expansion. Remember, when God comes, after they're kicked out of the garden, where God approaches Abraham, he begins with the nation of Israel. He begins with the Hebrew people. But we see the expansion that his kingdom is not satisfied to be a kingdom of one people, but it is to be the kingdom of all the nations and all the believing nations. What will they be? They will be healed. All who believe, they will come in and the nations will be healed. He will take away their sorrow, who take away their pain. As it says elsewhere, in Revelation, there'll be no more weeping. He's going to take away all of that that vexes them. We know this from Revelation 5, 9, where it says this, is that people from every tribe, language, nation, and race gather before the throne and sing a new song. Holy, holy, holy. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is He to receive power and glory and honor. For with His blood, He has purchased people from every language, nation, tribe, and and it repeats essentially the same thing in Revelation 7, 9. But the idea is this. If you've ever sat on the sidelines, there is, I don't know if you know this. And, um, after a difficult, a difficult political season, I, I don't want to bring a lot of politics back in. But just in, in the reality we live in, if you've ever sat on the sideline and wondered why the, the church of Jesus Christ appeared to be only one kind of people or appear to only be a certain people, or wondered why it only seemed to care about one set of people, I want you to know that that, those, that that is a masquerade. That's something claiming to be the church of Jesus Christ, but it does not seem to comport with or be consistent with the plan of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was not, listen, 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 listen. Jesus is happy and pleased to be calling people like me, into his kingdom. And so it's true that in the new heaven and new earth, there's going to be some pasty people. I'm glad that there's not going to be a new sun, a sun in, the new, in the new earth because I'm so white that I get into the sun for a couple of minutes and my skin basically melts off. Several times before I was 12, I got blisters so bad upon my my shoulders that they turned into one giant blister. I'm in like the protocol at this age where I'm constantly looking at my own shoulders, watching, right? But what what I'm saying here is I'm glad that God is calling people like me, who are from some sort of indistinct European background, I'm glad he's calling people like me into the kingdom. But you know at Crosswinds over the last year we've, uh, we've baptized um, four different people from Sierra Leone. A lot of you know our good friend KK and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about her story really quickly. So KK grew up in this church but she would ride to church each week. A lot of times she'd ride to church with my dad, right? Uh, I guess I should just take one step back. KK are Sierra Leone, there's a, there's a community of Sierra Leoneans that live down the road. Most of them live on Oneida. Others and them live other places. They are nominally nominally Muslim. But we established a relationship. We established a relationship when, when some of the kids were in, were in second grade, starting in second grade. Um, Salia, who's the oldest, graduated from college three years ago now. And I met him when he was in second grade running a program called Star Kids. And we just tried to help tutor them and help them, help them through, through school. So we've had a relationship with these people from, from Sierra Leone. The gatekeeper of that community is a man named Mr. High. Mr. High is nominally Muslim. He was telling me about it. But then he said, said to me, but we love you. Keep teaching our children about, about God. To which I said, we will. His name's Jesus, and we're going to share him re- regularly. But I, we have a good relationship with the gatekeeper, Mr. High, and So what happened is we'd established this relationship, and so we had folks from Sierra Leone being involved in our, our congregation uh, for a long, long time now. Um, so KK grew up in this congregation. KK, by the way, is brilliant. She went off to, off to, uh, to MSU. To study pre med, we'll come back to that in a minute. But when she was little, my dad would pick her up for for church, and she'd spend the whole time telling him about how she didn't believe in God, and uh, she wasn't going to believe in God, and that's the way it was. And so she would regularly tell him, "I don't believe in God. I don't believe in God. I don't believe." But in her, their mom, who we also have a great relationship with, we'll see Wata a couple times a couple times a year, and we have a great relationship with with Wata. Uh, uh, she loves us, we love her. her. Her mom continued to make to make her go to church, I think, or, or for some reason, even though she wasn't going to believe in God, she, she liked it here. So she grew up here. She graduated from high school. She went to MSU to study pre-med. Uh, like I said, very, very smart. Discovered she didn't want to do that much chemistry. Uh, switched her, her major to nursing. But somewhere during about her sophomore year, KK called me and she said, Dave, I need to come home and I need to be baptized because I've been attending church over here and I've accepted Jesus, but I want to be baptized amongst the people who taught me about him. So she came home on a break and we baptized KK. In fact, we baptized from that family, David Kello. We baptized from that family, uh, Essa Kello. We baptized from that family, Celia Kello. Celia works. Sundays, and, and that's a big problem, but we're, we're working through it, but we're looking to meet together and find a way. He's looking for a job so he can be involved in the life of the community, but we had a conversation the other day where I said to him, I said, Salia, I know that you love Jesus, and I know that there's lots of Sierra Leoneans in this community, and the best people to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ is you. Would you be willing to train and do that? And he said, yeah, I think I'd be interested in that. So we're working hard to find a way for him to be involved in the life of the community. But I tell you that story to say this. I am so glad that Jesus has called the pasty people like me into the kingdom. But on every level, I am so glad that he has called the dark-skinned people of Sierra Leone into his kingdom. I'm glad that he has called my Filipino friends into his kingdom. I go regularly uh, to the Philippines, haven't been in a while. But I am so glad that he called Bishop Nonon from the small island of Masbate, from extreme poverty into leadership in his nation to the point that they sent him in to confront the president. I'm glad to call that man a friend. I'm gladder still to call him a brother in the Lord Jesus Christ because he's spreading the good news of Jesus all over the Philippines. I'm glad that he's called pasty people like me. And I'm glad that he's called my dark-skinned brother brothers from Sierra Leone into the kingdom. And I'm glad that he's called my honey-skinned brothers. I guess I'd call them that. The Filipinos, they're, they're interesting because Filipinos essentially have the skin tone that every white person is trying to accomplish, but live in, in, in great fear. Great fear of getting too dark. You can buy skin-whitening soap in the Philippines, so I guess cultures are, are different, right? I have a few friends. I have a friend named... Uh, Lena Rossus. I have a friend named Robert Trice. I have a friend named Daryl. Um, these are my friends who have grown up in this country and are African American, right? So they're children uh, of, of this nation. Children of this nation, which means that, that even, even in their, their family tree and their, their lineage, they, you know, they're they're not they're not dark skinned like they're from Sierra Leone. Some are dark skinned, some are lighter skinned. My friend, you remember my our uh, our friend Tyler Saint Clair, who came and, and delivered the gospel powerfully here at Crosswinds. Right, they're African American, and God's called them into the kingdom. And I'm glad that God's called my African American friends into the kingdom. And I could go on and on and on. Right. I'm glad that God has not stopped at a national boundary or at a skin color, but I'm glad that God likes all the colors of the universe. I'm glad that God likes the dark-skinned of Sierra Leone. I'm glad that he likes the, likes, likes the, 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 the dark-skinned of Ethiopia. I'm glad that he likes the, the lighter-skinned people of, of America or African-American, or as we might call them at, at, at Galvin Heights, the light-skinned I'm glad that he's called them. And I'm glad that he's called people from Guatemala. And I'm glad that he's called people from Mexico. And I'm glad that he's called people from Laos. And I'm glad that he's called people from Taiwan. And I'm glad that he's called people from the Ukraine. And I'm glad that he's called people from Sweden. And I'm glad that he's continuing to call people. From from Great Britain. And I'm glad that he's continuing to call people. From the Central African Republic. I'm glad that he's continuing to call people. From places as diverse. And different as but I'm glad that he's calling all the nations of the earth into his kingdom so that one day before the throne will be all the nations of the earth and the nations of the earth will praise him and the fruit of the tree of life will be this. No longer will there be anything accursed. The curse has died. What is the curse? Predominantly the curse manifests itself in, 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 in the result of our sin against the living God. But when God himself in the person of Jesus Christ took the wrath of God upon himself, when he died for that, he began to reverse the power of the curse. And one day the curse will be fully wiped all the nations of the earth will stand before him and there will be no curses upon the nation because the kingdom of God will be all the people of God and we will look to our brother on our right who is dark skinned and our brother on the left who who is light skinned and we will not make uh, there will not be any sense of irony or any sense of humor when we say he is my brother for it shall be true for we will realize finally that we are descendants of our father our Lord and our God, the nations will be healed, but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it, and the servants will worship him they will see his face. you don't know how big of a promise this is, right the, the, the Old Testament is filled with, with, with this, this this idea that that, that to see to God, to have that kind of intimacy. Remember, in, in the old Holy of Holies, only one man could go in. And that, but once a year, and if he, was, if he was slightly off about anything, he might die in there because his unholiness could not survive in light of the true holiness of the living God. But here, all of God's servants are made priests who have the same access to the, to the Holy of Holies as the high priest, but not with fear, not with worry, because the curse is dead, because the tree of life is there. And we will see his face and his name will be on our foreheads and night will be no more they will need no light of the lamp or sun for the lord god will be their light and they will reign forever and ever not only is your future if you know jesus to be a priest of the most high god able to have direct access to the living god to see him Face to face, not only that, but your future as a follower is not to be only to be a high priest, but if you know him, your future in the kingdom is to reign with him. You are princes and princesses who reign with the living God and the king. You, Adam was given the was made the king of his domain, and he was told, be fruitful, multiply, expand the boundaries of the kingdom. He did not fulfill that, but because Jesus did you get to go in and begin to do the wonderful work to which the original Adam was called to cultivate, to be fruitful, to multiply, and to be in the presence of the living God in the cool of the day. What began in a garden with limited boundaries, gets expanded in the new earth through the work of Jesus Christ so extravagantly that the the coming kingdom, the new heaven, the new earth includes all of the geographic boundaries of all that is. In other words, there's nothing in the universe over which the new heaven and the new earth does not have full reign and full control. And so what began in the garden which, that which was typified in the temple finds its truest fulfillment in the new heaven and the new earth. It is all the holy of holies. And it is all the presence of the living God. And you get to live there. You get to reign there. You get to be fruitful there. You get to multiply your, your effectiveness there. Let me... um. Let me apply it just quickly like this. For every moment of brokenness you've had in your life, for every moment of hurt, whether you've had a great week or a horrific week, the reality is that the human experience is is horribly marred by the reality of sin. It's horribly marred by the reality of of brokenness. It's horribly marred by the reality that our great, great, great grandparents rebelled against the living God and we inherited their rebellious spirit. But there is coming a day when the momentary afflictions of this place will be nothing compared to the glory that we'll have there. And the hurt that you have in this moment, the struggle you have in this moment, whether your struggle is, is is a struggle of this week or your struggle's long, you've just hurt because you've got long-standing hurt in your life. You've got long-standing trauma in your life, long-standing brokenness. We have people in this congregation who were who were rejected by 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 their parents. We have people in this congregation who were rejected by family. We have people in this in this congregation who were who were rejected by friends. We have people in this congregation who were rejected by spouses. We have people in this congregation who through their own sin, through their own foolishness, have destroyed their own lives and they live under this oppression of, that, that seems like, like destruction. I want you to know this, that if you live in this moment where you're like, the destruction is too much, I beg you, lean into Jesus. There is coming a day when destruction will be destroyed, wiped out, and removed. We will see his face, and his name will be on our foreheads, and the night will be no more. We no need of a lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be our light, and we will reign forever and ever. It's a figurative picture. I don't know exactly what the new heaven and the new earth will, will look like, right? And sometimes I think people worry that the, that the new, they're like, yeah, I don't want to cry and I don't want to struggle. But the idea of sitting on a cloud, uh, you know, singing kumbaya for all of eternity doesn't appeal either. I, I don't think that's the new heaven and the new earth. In fact, I would suggest that probably the new heaven and the new earth looks a lot like the earth that Jesus created once and was marred by sin. And my suggestion is this, is that the life you live will be a lot like the life you live now. But the difference is, instead of being marred by sin, all of your existence and all of your geographic boundary, in other words, every place you go and every place you are will be the holy of holies. The full presence of God will be fully there. And everything that you do will be fully pleasing to God. And every action you take will be worshiped to God. Why? Because sin will be wiped out and you'll desire nothing wrong. And so your existence will be one of being pleasing and pleasurable to God. God is going to restore Eden what began in the garden is fulfilled in the new city, the new Jerusalem. God is going to restore to us Eden, not, not some cartoon version of, of an old man on a cloud, but, but he's going to restore to us the, the new city and every action you take will be, will be to his pleasure and to yours and you'll find fullness of joy in your King. So I want to remind you of that for the moments when you struggle, for the moments when you hurt, for the moments when you're sure, you're not sure whether it's worth it to follow Jesus, for the moments when you're not sure, is Jesus good enough? Is he really good? He's great. Every wrong you can identify in the universe, he hates as well, and he's going to wipe it out. There's coming a day. That's why it says in verse 7 in Jesus' words, and behold, I'm coming soon. That's why Jesus says in verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon. That's why Jesus says in verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things. For the churches, I am the root of root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. And then he says again in verse 20, Surely I am coming soon. My prayer for you this morning is that, is, is that you would be overwhelmed with the greatness of what God has done for you. That you would be so struck by what God is doing and what he wants to do that rather than, than continue in your rebellion against the plan of God that you, would become, uh, 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 that you would become a worker in the plan of God. That you would, that you would submit to your role that you would submit to your place, that you would realize that you are destined to be a high priest in the presence of the, of the living God. In other words, you're destined to have access to where God is and who He is fully. I pray that you would realize that you're destined, if you're a follower of Jesus, to reign as a king. You're a, your reign will be over everything and you will carry out the good plans of God. I pray that you would recognize this. If you're a believer who's struggling, I want you to know in this place there's no more tears. There's no more hurt. There's no more pain. Jesus is coming soon. If you're a person who doesn't know him, I want you to hear this. It's true. Everything I've said is true. Jesus is real. Jesus is historical. And Jesus is coming soon. Don't let another moment go by not knowing him. Jesus is coming soon. For all of us in every day, I pray that we would learn to live in light of a coming reality, of a coming kingdom where the fullness of the presence of the living God is amongst us, where we see him face to face, where we don't do wrong because we don't want to and everything we do do is an act of worship because it pleases him and it's right. And I pray most of all that we would learn to become a people who say, even so, Jesus, come soon. Even so, Lord, come soon. happens this week, I'll see you in the new earth and we'll get together with that amazing multi-ethnic choir and we'll sing. But if it doesn't happen this week, may we live in light of the reality that it will happen soon. And may we live in light of the reality that the one who is coming soon is already Lord and King. Pray with me.